The One Tough Mother Podcast. The One Tough Mother Show is real talk with special guests, including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. Hi, and welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. It's been a super, super, super exciting week. Both Seth and I have a lot going on, but I really don't have what Seth has going on. Seth, what went on this week with you? I don't know what you're talking about. It's just a regular, same old week. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, you mean, oh, the baby. Oh. <laughs> well, our baby was due July 5th. We went for an ultrasound on the 19th. They said, oh, there's low fluid. Uh, you have to go to the hospital tonight. It's like, okay. It wasn't like urgent, like, you know, oh my God, got a C-section or anything. It wasn't like that. But they just said sooner, you know, the baby measured well. And they just said sooner. If you go, you should go in there now. So we went in uh, 10 o'clock at night on Tuesday, the 19th. The baby was born 5 p.m. on Wednesday, the 20th. Yeah, that was it's a long time. Yeah. It was just, you know, she had to be induced and... um you know, it's just a lot, you know, she was, it was tough for her because there was a lot of drugs in her system and, you know, drugs from the hospital. Don't get it twisted, anybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just, um, it was just, yeah, it was, it was long, but he, you know, I was there, he came out and he's, he's perfect little baby. He looks just like our other two when they came out. So oh, he all is look- adorable. He is oh, adorable. Thank you. And you know what's and, um, funny is we I was talking to um, our friend Alexis about it. And I, she was like, I said, they're all baby Seths. They're all like tough brother baby Seths. They look just like you. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you put yeah. hair on your head and dude, they're you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm working on taking the hair off my head. My, my uh, In a separate story, uh, my clippers broke. So I haven't shaved my head in a couple of weeks and it's I hate it. Oh, so. I just yeah. haven't had a chance to get some new ones, but the baby's great. He's doing well. He was, uh, he's healthy. He's, uh, he's just been a perfect little baby so far. So. Alessa's doing well. Yeah, she's recovering and she's getting there. Oh, good. So. Excellent. I'm so, well, congratulations. Back. She's adorable. Just Talia, my daughter, it's just, it's been traumatic for her, but, uh, she'll, she's okay. <laughs> Wait, she, what is she? Two and a half? She's two and a half. Yeah. Yeah, so she, this is, I well, want to hold it. I want to get in there. Yeah, but also she, um, when I brought the kids into the hospital, she was sleeping. So I laid her down and when she woke up, she saw the baby uh, feeding and she got really jealous and upset. Oh. Yeah. Then she, 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 the good thing about her is she doesn't hold grudges. She kind of gets over it, moves on. Then she goes back to it again and goes back. You know, she's, she's, uh, she's something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's but, uh, great. She's been a handful forever. She's great. It's great to me that she has her oh. own separate personality. <laughs> yes. Well, my brother watched uh, three kids, a 10-year-old, five-year-old, and two-and-a-half-year-old. For two day, for two nights, he stayed at my brother's house. My brother said, um, the boys are welcome anytime. Uh, if I was at daycare, I would charge you triple rate for your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and does he have kids, your brother? T- teenagers, so 16 and 17, yeah. Oh wow, that was awesome of him to do that, dude. I'm not kidding. Oh, he hooked, they hooked us up for uh, yeah, him and uh, my sister-in-law hooked us up big time. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations yeah. to you and your whole family. I mean, thank you very much. Adorable, adorable. What's the new neighbor say? Huh? Who? The new neighbor. I mean, not the new neighbor. The neighbor. What does the neighbor say about the new baby? No, nah, it's no, just no. 
Karen, okay? Just no. God. Did you have to sneak it's it a- in the house? Oh, please. You kidding me? When the baby cries, we go closer to the door. Yeah, yeah this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a whole episode. This is going to be well, like episode after episode after episode of this. Nah, it won't be. It won't be. Because we, we, let, we let the landlord know, like, you know, after I told you she banged on the door and everything, and I sent her to her room. Um, that she's not to knock on our door or contact us or anything. We want zero contact. So, yeah. And we, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be in a position to move soon. So, and, that, and that'll be that. Right. So. Well, it, it, yes, we've been again, congratulations. And I'm so, I'm so happy that everybody's doing well. Oh, you know what else too? I was going to ask you, cause you know, it's funny, even though it's, um, you know, I've been, this is my third one I've been around for, you know, my, my stepson's 10. Every time you do it, it's it's like starting over again. It's not like, you know, we're a little less nervous and everything, obviously, as you are after the first, but it's still all like new and it's not like it's very familiar. It's just all new all over again because you don't, you know, they're only super tiny once and, it does, and they get bigger every day. So it's just, it's just like starting over again. I was going to ask you if you felt the same way when you had your kids. Well, you know what? It's funny that you say that because um, I didn't feel so much that because I was always so hurried. Like there was always so much... Go- confusion going on because I was usually with them by myself. But what I did feel is I really noticed from day one, they all had very uniquely different personalities, like really unique. Like you could see real subtle differences in their personality. So it wasn't always easy to say, well, this worked for this baby. So I'm going to do that because it didn't always work that way. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Well, my daughter, yeah, she's definitely different for sure. Because I, you know, I had three sons and a daughter. So my oldest son was much more difficult. And I'm going to say that's because I was extremely nervous. Um, My kids after that, I used to say, if you have one, you might as well have five because it's like you have one. So you might as well keep going. But yeah, they were all uniquely different from, from the beginning. Uh, You could see, you're going to see that anyway. And I think this baby's going to be laid back because he didn't really want to come when they said he had to come. He's just like, no, dude, I'm not ready. So he took his good old time. Well, that's not really true, though, because he came 15 days early. But that was induced, right? Yes. So, yeah. True, true. Yeah, yeah. True. Okay, you win. You win. I win. So, anyway, I want to talk. The the, the guest we have on this week is amazing. When we come back, you're going to hear her interview. And and Seth wasn't there for the interview, unfortunately, at the studio. He was having his baby. But she was just an amazing, interesting story. Um, Katarina is a, a concert pianist, a world-renowned concert pianist, and she was also an immigrant. And she came into this country with her parents at a very young age because her parents saw, you know, all the potential that she had, the potential that this country had to offer her. So we touch a little bit on that, which was really like very timely for us to talk about a little bit, you know, about her fear. And they actually lived in their car. Well, you'll hear her story. Her and the fears of coming into this country as an immigrant and, and just the amazing things she's done. She's just returned from Vienna. She's on her way to Italy. She's, like I said, a world-renowned concert pianist. And um, when we come back, we're going to listen to that interview. In the meantime, Seth, go burp the baby. We'll be back. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And welcome back. We're super excited to have this woman in. I, I mean, she's 
now I refer to her as a friend because she's just awesome. And she looks absolutely gorgeous. And I have to tell you, hailed as an extraordinary, larger-than-life powerhouse pianist, award-winning Armenian-American pianist Karine Pogosian has been celebrated on the world stage for her ability to get to the heart of her works that she performs. Since the age of 14, Karine has been enchanting concert audiences around the globe with her masterful artistry and exceptional performances. When I met her, I was just taken aback by her warm personality and willingness to share her personal life lessons with us. And I could not wait to have her. I have a concert pianist, a world concert (laughs) pianist on the show. I'm super, super excited. And it's with great honor that we welcome to the One Tough Mother Show, the beautiful and absolutely talented Karine Pogosian. Thank you for coming. I'm so excited and honored to have you. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, it's so exciting. So, especially since you just came off a long leg of travel. Mm -hmm. Explain to us what you were doing. Oh, my gosh. It's been the craziest couple of months. I did um, a tour in California. I did four different concerts in four days. That was crazy. Wow. Uh, Got back, did a performance upstate, and then went to Vienna. And I had made my debut at Musikverein, which is the Carnegie Hall of Vienna. And it was absolutely thrilling. And then I got back and I had my debut at Sankel Hall at Carnegie Hall. Oh, my gosh. So it's been a whirlwind. And then a couple of weeks from now, I'm going to be heading off to Italy for the first time. My first ever visit to Italia. Oh, that's crazy. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Tell me, Karina, do you get nervous? You know, I do, but it's a good nervous. It's a, um, it's an excitement. It's a sense of responsibility where you, I don't know. I mean, it's just such a special feeling when you know people took the trouble, took the two, three hours of their life, and they came and sat down in a concert hall, and they want to experience something. So that's a huge responsibility, and I definitely do not take that lightly. But that's something that makes me, you know, work hard and really strive. So. It's a good nervous. Oh, that's so crazy because you're right. I never think of it like that. But you're right. People take time out of their life to enjoy and experience you because it's coming from your hands and from your what you feel right it, it really it's um blessing and a huge huge responsibility i i definitely feel honored um i know god gave me this gift and i want to spread as much inspiration and joy and positivity with it um i think great music has that ability and so it's my job to share it and bring joy to people and you're so you're so right especially in this time in a uh, time of um our lives in the united states we need joy we need this let's go back let's go back thinking of that start us off from your beginning where you start you you didn't know you were not born here start no. us off from the beginning well i was born in yerevan armenia um, very small, beautiful country of only three million people, which is smaller than Brooklyn, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> but it's a gorgeous country, very culturally rich. Um, everyone is doing some sort of artistic activity, um, writing and painting. And I ended up going into the musical field. And uh, then around age of 18, my parents and I immigrated to the United States. And um, It was a tremendous uh, challenge. It was the most typical immigrant story of starting from absolute scratch and doing all kinds of jobs to just put food on the table. But uh, 
the gratitude that we had for the opportunities that this incredible country presented us with was tremendous. And uh, I really, the things I'm doing right now would not have been possible without all these incredible blessings and opportunities. And um, man, it's been an insane journey. It's sure. crazy. <laughs> and so, so you came, wait, when did you figure out, hey, I can play the piano? Well, it's funny. I started piano at age seven. My, my parents took me to have piano lessons as all the proper young ladies. Um, I started to take lessons. But the funniest thing is I really, really hated it. Really? I, I, <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> I was the worst student. I did not enjoy practicing. I did not like doing all those scales and, you know, etudes. Um and I think there was a, a, a hidden reason behind it is that I didn't really connect with my first piano teacher that much. And I didn't feel excited about going to lessons. And then around age 13, 14, um, I had a, a change of teacher. My first teacher uh, moved and everything changed. I, I mean, it just was like uh, this whole magical world opened up and I realized that music is a way to tell stories and paint pictures and it's just so so creative and adventurous and exciting so i think around 13 14 is when i can say um the, the musician was born oh wow that's so so were you the typical like why i don't want to i don't want to go to piano lessons <laughs> i don't want to practice I, so far so much so that i actually have a very clear memory of my early uh, years of playing during the lesson and just turning my hand just so to uh, to check the time. <laughs> <laughs> Your watch isn't time yet. <laughs> I have such a clear memory as a I don't know nine year old, ten year old doing that. No, it was it was uh, torture. I really didn't enjoy um, the rudimentary aspects of the early stages. Uh, and I remember I really loved to improvise. Just goof off and do my own thing and uh, my first teacher was very discouraging of that she was no stick to the exercises and all that and what kid wants to do that right <laughs> right so, right so yeah it was an interesting beginning for sure and but you actually you come from a very very um artistic family a very um you know, well-rounded families. Your dad, right? Your dad's an artist? Both of my parents are very artistic. My dad is a renowned Armenian artist. He, you know, has traveled and presented uh, exhibitions. Is, is truly amazing. His name is Razmik Bogosian. Um, my mom, by training, is an engineer, but around age 50, she had this awakening and she started to paint as well. And now she has close to 500 or so pieces. Wow. Beautiful watercolors. So definitely there is um, the artistic uh, vein is, is, is present in my family for sure. Absolutely. And you were an only child? I am. Yeah. So now you hit 14 and this is when, you know, you're, you've got your friends and everything's going on at school and they go, we're going. <laughs> we're going to the States. What was that like? Well, I mean, it was uh, very, very difficult. When we immigrated, uh, the entire first year was just very, very um, challenging and uh, financially, economically, emotionally. Um, it's interesting to watch certain current events from that lens. I really relate because, uh, my gosh, it's so traumatic. You know, you rip yourself away from everything that you've known your whole entire life that has given you comfort. And here you are in a foreign place. You don't really speak the language that well. You don't understand the customs and traditions. Oh my gosh, it's scary. It's really scary. And I was, um, I, I, by nature, I'm a bit of an introvert. So for me, it was extra difficult to make these connections and, and, and open up. But the beautiful thing is that there are incredible people in this country. 
um, I mean, I, I was received with so much love, so much encouragement and generosity. And um, I, I really feel blessed because uh, I was given nothing but love and encouragement. And that's why I am here. That's why I'm doing these things now. Right. And, and your, your positive proof of that we do forget, I mean, the horrible things that are happening now, there's no one that I know that agrees with what's happening, especially someone like you who've, who've actually lived through it, but um, or been someone that was brought into this country. But we have to remember that the people here are loving, and there's so many people that are good here, and it's and we're gonna we've got to figure out how to straighten it out because it is generational now. What's happening is they're damaging children for generations to come, right? I I I mean, it's even difficult to talk about too because I remember being that afraid. I remember being in such a psychological state of. Uh, deer in the headlights, really. It's so funny. I found this picture of me, uh, myself, uh, when we had just arrived, and my eyes are literally looking like deer in the headlights. They're like this big um, because there is fear. Right. Naturally. Right. You just already naturally feel that. Where are we going? What are we doing with our lives? Um, so you, you're absolutely right. It's so crucial that we emphasize that there are beautiful, beautiful human beings in this country that everyone is not agreeing with uh, some of these policies. And uh, there is such love, such generosity, um, welcoming, loving environment that I I hope um, some of these terrified kids, I hope to God that they have that uh, in in the back of their minds that the good is also there and it's available to them. Hopefully the connection is made so, yeah, it's a beautiful country. We have to remember that fact and right. not, not allow ourselves to get to. I negative. hope that the government makes the right choice on this and things change quickly. In the meantime, so you're here. You lived in your car, right, for a little uh, bit? Gosh, yes. When I first moved to New York, it was uh, bizarre. Um, we, Yeah, we hadn't found an apartment yet, and uh, we had all our belongings in this giant uh, U-Haul truck, including my um, upright piano. So, yeah, until we found an apartment, we were, I guess you can say, practically homeless. We were living in, in that car for a couple of days. And, um, uh, yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, experienced it all. Did sure. you? So did your father just take any job to start off? Both my parents, yeah. Both my parents had to uh, work in stores and do construction. I mean, all, all kinds of uh, these um, these. Uh, job fields that are typically associated with, you know, when you first come to this country, that's what you look at. That's the easy and available um, field to go to. And I cannot for one single second of my life uh, forget and not be grateful to my parents because of the enormous sacrifices that their careers took on. I mean, they, they really had to put all of their dreams on the back burner um, you know, my father didn't really go around to art galleries and present his work. And so now it's actually in some ways extra, <clears throat> extra challenging for him because he had all that gap, you know, right. all that time. So um, I'm beyond, beyond grateful to my parents. I work doubly, triply as hard as I can to, to um, make it worth all of that sacrifice. Right. Their, their whole sacrifice was to bring you to this country to give you the opportunities yeah. that you've had. I mean, they their whole goal, you didn't land in, in New York, right? You started off where? Uh, we first came to California. Mm-hmm. 
And I did my bachelor's at Cal State Northridge. But my teacher there is a wonderful woman, uh, Françoise Regnat, who recommended that I need to go to the East Coast. That's where all the you know, excitement and the buzz is in the classical world, specifically New York, Philadelphia. So I did indeed come and audition in Manhattan School of Music. And I was accepted on scholarship, which was Amazing. insane. I mean, yeah. it was such an exciting event. So, yeah, we decided to load up the U-Haul truck and drive from California to New York four days, four days and four nights. Wow, that is insane. And so you started school and you loved every ounce of it? My goodness, New York is the best place to be. I, I just love it here. I, I From the very first day of coming here, I felt at home. It is the most creative, energizing, um, at times very, you know, tough love giving. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a no nonsense uh, environment for sure. And um, it, it makes you work hard because it's a place where you constantly feel that there's still room to grow. There's still more to explore and learn. So, yeah, I'm beyond grateful to have come here. So, yeah, the challenges here are sometimes um, minimized by the opportunities. I mean, in New York, people are always like, oh, I, could, I can't stand being around all those people. It, it's, <laughs> you, you, the vibe here and the energy here is just so amazing that, really? that you feel that the opportunities are there. You just mm-hmm. have to find them and you have to work hard to get to them. It's it's definitely not for everybody. There's that funny expression, you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. I, I think that perfectly applies to New York. You have to be tough. Yeah. I mean, you just cannot be here and expect things to be handed to you. Uh, it's the case in everywhere, I think, in, in all of life. But it's extra emphasized when you come to New York where every single day you have to push yourself. And uh, absolutely, there are beautiful, incredible opportunities. But also there is this constant awareness that I have to... I have to go get them. Right. You know, I have to create them even. Right. So it's um it's a great place to be. Yeah, you have to you have to be open to the opportunities and find them as well. Like you said, you have to create your life. I mean nobody's gonna create it for you. Yeah. So you're going to school and were you really just like well accepted or did you have to work harder and harder? Because once you're in a school at that level, mm-hmm. everyone around you is immensely talented. It was really interesting at first. It was quite intimidating because you're absolutely right. Everyone in my class was this top-notch, world-class performer. But at the same time, there is um, a sense of individuality. Specifically, I think that's the case in everything. But in music, it's so highlighted where you have to be your own person. And so I remember having that intimidation at the same time also tuning into. Um, I guess kind of shutting off the noise and just tuning into myself and going within and um, just connecting to the music and, and really becoming my own person. So it was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience to come, be surrounded by all this uh, incredible creative energy, but at the same time also finding myself. Right, in right. It. Do they encourage that in school? Do they encourage that throughout your training? Definitely. I mean, Manhattan School of Music is... Uh, top-notch it's it's one of the best music schools on the planet and I was blessed to be surrounded by incredible teachers coaches uh, mentors Um, it's it's a great great environment to be in very healthy very psychologically positive 
uh, which is so important in music especially because we're so tough on ourselves and it's this constant like never good enough feeling so you need that positivity around you do you really have that that never good enough even at the top (laughs) level that you're at i mean you're a world-renowned concert pianist but you never feel good enough oh my god it's i don't think that feeling will ever go go away because it's so interesting every time i reach a certain level i it's it's like that game what is it the minesweeper uh, a whole new world opens oh. up you're like oh oh i can now do this well then let's push and aim for that it's it's a never-ending um pursuit but i think that's a good thing i mean i think that's what keeps me jumping out of bed at seven, seven in the morning and starting to practice i'm, I'm never tired i'm never bored uh, I feel like the same kid at age 13, 14 when I first discovered the joy of music. It's, it's exciting. It's motivating. So. Do, you get your, do you immerse yourself in it when you're on stage? Say there's thousands of people watching. Mm-hmm. Do you just push yourself into your own mind and you don't even notice them anymore? You're just so part of, much part of the music? It's uh, Absolutely, but it's so interesting. It's um, this interesting combination of, um, yes, being in my own world, but at the same time I also need the energy from the audience I draw from it Um, and it's so interesting it's so unique wherever I go the audiences have their own unique vibe and energy Um, and you can just feel some places they're a little bit more closed off and they're not giving as much and then some places they are just so eager that it feels like this satellite antenna energy coming toward you and you're just loving it so um it's it's the most incredible experience. It's hard to even describe. It's something magical and divine. You just you just feel like you become almost an instrument, like a medium, and this this energy is just flowing through you from God from above, and it's just coming through your fingers and and then going towards the audience and then coming back at you from them. That's amazing. It's, it's beautiful. Wow. And so tell take me through a typical day. Like what is your work quote unquote day (laughs) like what is your day how does it start and what do you do practice 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 (laughs) i bet right it's uh it's uh ideally i mean i also have to do still quite a bit of other activities but uh ideally if i just have the entire day just um to concentrate on my my music um i plan the day early in the morning i have my morning cup of coffee as you can I'm a huge yeah. coffee lover. <laughs> and I just have a, a journal. I sit down with my journal. I plan it out and plan the specific things I want to accomplish that day. Uh, for example, the goal of the day today was uh, working on my Gershwin concerto. So I then start tackling it. About, um, I would say, about ideally four hours of practice a day, um, depending on, on the average. Uh, sometimes it goes much, much more. So it's really planned out, really organized, even though it feels like you're this free-spirited artist. It's it's actually not that, like that at all. It's very Oh, that's interesting. See, I would have thought that. It was like no. very like, oh, I wake up and I play the <laughs> piano, have my coffee, play the piano and eat. Yeah, if you, if you leave it to, to that mindset, it's very easy to not get a lot done because you then feel like, well, I'm not in the mood today or I'm not inspired yeah, today. Yeah, right. And you have to take charge. And, and um, inspiration usually comes when you are already in the midst of it and you're, right. the momentum is already going. Honestly, though, Katarina, honestly, is there any day that you wake up and go, oh, I'm just not in the mood today? I definitely, at least half oh, of the Oh, that's so days. great to hear this because, yeah, people always think that people that are very talented and, and, and are very inspired always feel very talented yeah. and inspired. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting you say that. That, but I, I guarantee you at least half the days I'm 
uh, not feeling like it and I'm being lazy. But um, again, if I have a system in place where I organize myself, I'm then able to get myself going and whether I feel like it or not, because um, we are all human, but it's so fascinating. I always look at these um, great athletes, for example, who train much, much more than I do and are playing games every other day. And you always think, my gosh, isn't, doesn't he have a sick day or a tired day? But um, again, they have the system already in place. So whether they feel like it or not, it will it will happen. The pr- productivity will happen. So the discipline is like the number. Enormous. If you're going to excel in anything, discipline is absolutely important. You have to be disciplined no matter what. Even if you're digging a ditch, you know, mm. you get I'm too tired. Uh-huh. No, 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 you stop. You have to have self-discipline, right? And that's very important for you because you're you're seen by thousands and thousands of people. Absolutely. I have this quote and Right in front of me as I practice, it says discipline is the difference between what you want now and what you want most. Oh, wow. And I love that Because now we all want to just, you know, chill and not do anything. Just go for ice cream. (laughs) Exactly. Millions of options, right? But uh, what you want most... needs to dominate and take control so that you can get things done right right and now do you live your parents live closely they do uh, about 15 minute walk apart oh that's excellent excellent so where you're at do you practice in your house i do practice in my apartment very lucky to say i'm surrounded by musicians so i was gonna say so it's okay so so yeah i haven't gotten into trouble yet thank god (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna gonna say like you wake up you can't sleep it's 2 a.m you're like yeah well, I'll go read a book. Nah, I'll practice. <laughs> <laughs> you start pounding away and people are like, whoa. Uh, I can't quite do it at 2 a.m. I'm sure I, I will get into trouble. But yeah, it's it's pretty um, welcoming environment. Oh, that's grateful. cool. Yeah. That is very cool. So uh, when I watch you play, I have to bring this up because you are very dramatic and very, <laughs> I mean, I love it. You're like, a, like, I said in the intro, you're a powerhouse. You can see how much you enjoy it. You see how much you love it. Like your body movements, everything about it. It's almost like you're dancing as you're sitting and playing. You know what I mean? And I think about that because I think about when I'm in a car and believe me when I tell you, (laughs) no one wants to hear me sing. But when I'm in the car singing, I'm like always hitting the steering wheel and bebopping around. I'm thinking if I was a concert pianist, that's what I would be doing. I would be just like crazy just like you're you're, I love it you're not just sitting there playing you are the movements are just in tune with your Mm -hmm. music it's so actually interesting you say that because when I watch my own videos I'm like what am I doing (laughs) (laughs) is this me (laughs) I I really don't recognize myself because I come across as this unbelievably larger than life flamboyant and I I think of myself as actually quite introverted but shy <laughs> I don't know and um so it's I think it's the power of music it just takes over you um it really for me music is energy it just gets into your body and and indeed actually transforms you it transforms you from someone that feels introverted and shy and wants to be a wallflower into someone that just is jumping from joy and energy so um I, I love it. I love being on the stage. It's um, funny. My very first performance was around age seven. And my 
first memory of being on that stage is I remember I coming out like you know seven year old kid in Armenia and I see these giant lights and I'm like cool. <laughs> <laughs> It just this warmth was coming literally because the lights have this you know hot energy, and then all these people. I just I remember looking around and just feeling so at home and, and natural, and it just um, that's uh, that's so the, funny. Yeah, that's funny because you're you keep telling me you're introverted, and I think no because I know you and you don't seem it. <laughs> but um, no, I understand what you're saying. Now I have to give you the hard one. Here's the hard question. Here's mm. the cutting question. People mm. are going to want to know. Do you ever screw up? Oh, and then God. fix it? Tons of times. Tons of During times. a concert, like, you're like, oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. I, uh, the, the harder I push myself, you know, that's the funniest thing when they say you have to live outside of your comfort zone. But the, the bugaboo that comes with that is outside of your comfort zone is millions and millions of failures because you're just not used to it. It's right. It's not right. your comfort zone. So um, I have had so many enormous, enormous challenges where I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to pull this off? And <laughs> the the hardest thing is not that moment itself, but what you do the day after. Uh because you want to just curl up and just disappear. I'm like, I can't believe I played that wrong note. Uh, and you're just so mad at yourself. But then you have to, uh, number one thing to do, I remember this beautiful quote by Placido Domingo, one of my idols, one of the three tenors who said, you know, it's okay to not be pleased with your performance, but it is not okay to show that because the audience has just experienced something and they're so grateful for it. And by you coming out there with a pouty face or something, you're taking that joy away from them and you don't have the right to do that. That's so cool. It was so life-changing because it's um, it made me remember, look, this isn't about me. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I, I, I'm not this like queen out there and it's about pleasing myself and being being happy with myself. It is about an experience that I'm giving to these people who, again, took the two, three hours out of their own life and, and they came to experience something. So if they are on their feet at the end and, and are just so transformed by the beautiful music, uh, what right do I have to be upset by that one wrong note or, or whatever and take that joy away from them? So, that is so cool. Yeah, that was that was really inspiring. By That yeah. is very cool. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense because it isn't it, – it, it's you never think of it this way when you think of an artist like yourself, a singer, or you know, or a musician, or even a sports player. You don't think mm. about the fact that it really just isn't for them. It's it's what you're giving the joy that you're giving everyone around you, mm, and true. it's yeah. tremendous. I never think of it that way, but yeah, I w- I always wondered like if you hit a wrong note, are you like whoa whoa whoa? Everybody settle down. <laughs> I got I got this. <laughs> that would be me. Like I wouldn't even, I would just have to make some kind of fun out of it. Because, I mean, it's just I'd be like, "Oh my god, I did that wrong." But <laughs> no, that that is so and you work so hard and practice and practice and practice. What is what it like when you learn new music? Do you give yourself like, "I'm going to learn this in 3 weeks, I'm going to learn this in 3 months." How do you do that? It's um it's very, very important. This is where that discipline again comes back because you have to be so, so organized where like you see this long-term plan. This is the day of the performance and the, you do the backward planning. Where do I want to be a month before that or two months before that? Because um, again, otherwise the danger is to go <clears throat> into the artist mode and be like, oh, I'm not inspired today. Oh, I'll start next week. Um, 
and then you're you're you know behind. So I'm very rigorous about that. I really want to make sure the preparation part is. Um, I can do everything that I'm capable of putting in, you know. Right. And it's funny because you think as a talent, someone who's like talented and has this natural ability to, to perform, that they can just play anything. Mm, and people gosh. think that, that you're I just going to be like, <laughs> bam, 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 and start playing it. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that it, that's the goal to, you know, to make it look like that because that's, that's why you work so hard. So that it feels effortless and it's just about the the moment and the music but it is um uh many different kinds and layers of work it's obviously a nitty-gritty actual hardcore practice but then there's also time away from the instrument just kind of looking at the music and thinking about it and making a certain almost theatrical connection to that role that you're about to play right because i i think of music in a very theatrical sense it really is storytelling and there's you know, highs and lows and climaxes. So you have to make that connection, I think, away from the instrument. That cannot happen when you're just, you know, doing finger work, like the right. athletic work. Uh, so that, oh gosh, that's uh, a lot of work. Definitely it's it's not uh, just by, you know, snap of a finger, that's for sure. When, when you get, you know, asked to perform at concert halls or, or wherever around the world, do they say to you, Okay, I want you to play three blind mice. I mean, do they tell you what they want? And you're like, oh, I don't know that one. I got to figure it out. Uh, it's it's a combination. I mean, some venues and orchestras have a certain um, program in mind already, so they kind of make you fit within that. Um, and some places are, you know, just you do what you want to do. Uh, I would like okay. that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> it's always fun. And who do you want to play with? Oh my gosh! Uh, I want to play with New York Philharmonic. That's yeah, that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a big one. Shoot for the top, yes. Uh, yeah, there's so many incredible orchestras I'd like to work with. So many incredible conductors. Placida Domingo is actually doing a lot of conducting these days, and I had the tremendous honor to meet him for a very brief moment. He was at the Manhattan School of Music graduation ceremony where oh. he uh, received an honorary doctorate, and so I, of course, uh, made a every imaginable effort to have a chance to see him and say you know how much i'm inspired by him and of course take a selfie yes <laughs> <laughs> but um so he if you know if i have a chance to be in a concert where he's conducting that would be incredible oh that's amazing is there any like um music you know stars or, or talent singers current that you would like to to play with like just not collaborate. not yeah collaborate not doing your classical but doing something just like so rock and roll or gritty or right. something different i definitely am very open i'm 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 so uh excited about the idea of breaking boundaries between different genres i think that's so important because ultimately all Musicians are serving one purpose to inspire and energize people. And absolutely, I'd love to come together with, I mean, someone like Bono. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wouldn't insane. that be the coolest? Oh, you know incredible. what? I was thinking because I, I, I'm going to see Lindsey Sterling. And she, like, when I think about a girl and her violin, I think, yeah, yeah a girl and her violin. <laughs> but when you, she starts, she's like a little, like a little fairy. Oh, dancing around the state it's just incredible mm -hmm. that she can take herself out of what she normally would play and play with it's just mm -hmm. amazing to me right no i i think that's so important and i have to confess i think that's one of the most important things that us classical musicians uh really have to make an effort to try to do because we um 
have had this, um, I don't know, it's been a, a strange stigma that classical music has been stuck with, which is it's this, you know, uh, elitist uh, music for just a rare few. And um, I actually think that's not true at all. If you look at lives of Bach and Beethoven, they were, you know, yes, they were these geniuses, absolutely, but they're also human beings and regular guys that would go to a bar and have a beer. And, right, right. Um, Bach was actually a huge coffee drinker. Yeah. <laughs> so I really connected that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's so important that classical musicians, um, to put it bluntly, come down from that pedestal and connect and uh, open their hearts and open their minds and uh, learn different styles. Um, I don't know, go take a salsa dance lesson. Oh, I, I don't think know. This is a great, this is awesome <laughs> to hear this because I think of that too. I always think of classical music as almost staunch and very like um, cultural and you have to be very immersed in that See? type of st strict mindset. Right. But no. No, not at all. I, I, it, In fact, it breaks my heart when I... Um, hear that and, and see that that uh, perception of classical music because for me um, and you were describing how I play I mean for me it is very alive it's very passionate and there's so much fire and energy uh, just as much uh, fire and energy as in a rock concert for example so I really think we need to make that connection I absolutely do too and when you were in Vienna mm -hmm. or wherever I know you've been all around the world but when you were in Vienna and and you, you don't get really time to hang around and like see stuff right um, most of the times no this this time I had a little bit like I had a day or two after so I hung out a little bit and went to some museums that's neat. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is so exciting. Yeah. Was the food delish? It was yummy, yes. They have, uh, they're world-renowned with their uh, cakes and desserts. Yes. So, yeah, I definitely gained a few pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's not holding back. <laughs> no, if you have that. So, next is Italy? Next up is Italy. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of delicious food. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah, July, I'm going to um, go to Italy to teach in this beautiful uh, festival called um, Interharmony International Music Festival. I'm teaching piano and chamber music, and I'm going to perform as well. Uh, and then I'm going to come back and spend a few days in Milan before Holy back. cow. I'm so. sad for you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you need somebody to carry your bags? <laughs> sure. I'd carry come your on. piano, come but along. it's heavy. <laughs> I'll just carry your sheet music. <laughs> but Oh, my gosh. That sounds so exciting. I'm Very so proud exciting. of you. I'm Thank just so you. honored that you would be on our show and, and that you're saying so, so many things that are so open and honest because people need to hear this. Because, again, you had a rocky start. Your parents brought you here. You were 14. And it was tough. It's mm. tough going. But yeah. the tough get tougher, I think. Amen. Amen. I really do. So thank you, Catalina. I'm so excited for you. Thank, thank you for being on our show. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, so. I'm, I wish Seth had been here. I just want to really quickly say um, Seth could not be here today for this interview because he's having a baby. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Last night he's like, we're having our baby. And Ooh. it still hasn't come yet that I know of. I haven't checked my phone. So we wish him and his wife, Melissa, and, and their whole family love and, and everything. And we can't wait to see the new baby Seth. <laughs> The new tough baby <laughs> Seth. So thank you, Catalina. And when you come back, you'll you'll come back on I again. I love to. Next time you come back, I want to go someplace there's a piano. Oh, okay. Wouldn't that Let's be cool? That. Yes. And, and I could hear you play, and we could hear you play. It would be so fun. I'd love that. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And we will be right back. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you.
And we're back and we got headlines and headaches. And they're big this week, Seth. Really big. Big. Huge. Really big. You're going to love them. You're the best. The best headlines. The best headaches. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Disney's Pricey Park Preview. Say that 10 times fast. Right. Having raised theme park ticket prices by more than 20% over the past five years, Disney is now offering fans the choice to preview its newest Disneyland attraction for whopping $299. What? Who can take uh, yes. their kids there? Uh, which people? Um, the $50 per hour, six hour sneak peek at Pixar Pier is part of the company's strategy to deal with overcapacity crowds. The company may also adopt a pricing model in which prices fluctuate according to when a ticket is purchased per the journal. I like that idea. Yeah, I do too. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah, that makes it a little more fair. Yeah, like if you purchase a ticket for your family a year in advance. However, again, if you have more than one child, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to go to Disney. And I think that's sad. Yes. So if you see me with um, crutches, <laughs> um, yeah, that'll, that, then you'll know how I afforded to bring my kids to Disney World. Um, what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? There are other things to go to. There are, there are other things besides Disney World in life. Right. But not to say we don't want to go, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'll keep you guys posted on that with my 10 kids. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, something that everyone's talking about, and it's just so ridiculous. Um, fewer mounts over detaining kids in the latest salvo against the Trump administration's zero-tolerance immigration policy. State and federal prosecutors called for a halt to the separation of children from their parents at the Mexican border. Letters from Democratic state attorneys uh, general and a bipartisan group of former prosecutors say the practice distorts or breaks current law, according to National Law Journal, even as the White House continued to insist Monday that it enforces it. Since last month, parents who, who enter or attempt to enter U.S. illegally have been detained apart from accompanying children who are being placed in overcrowded facilities. Now, we know since, um, you know, they finally, the president um, called Congress to pass a law allowing against, you know, separating the children right. from their parents. Right. I mean... It's ridiculous that it had to go this long. Um, it's common sense, and it's it's it, it remind you know what it does. It, it's a it's a reminder. It's a couple of things. There's some negative and some positive. The negative is you realize like things like Nazi Germany and and you know even we had Japanese camps here and during World War II. You would think like that stuff won't happen again. At least not on our soil or not from what we would do. And it is still happening. And it's kind of sad to think that we still have yet to fully learn from history and. That you can't treat people that way. Right. It's just, it's just, it's human decency. Right. And so, luckily, they did finally you know, cave. It, the positive, though, is that in this day and age of communication, you can't get away with it anymore. That's the people, positive, the, right? That's great. It's great the fact that people can rally as a as a country, as a planet, to say no. This is wrong. You have to fix it. Right. And it got and give them you know give the give them credit that they. They fixed it. I, I agree you know? a thousand percent. And, you know, I've read um, some amazing, amazing conversations and statements and um, viewpoints from, from young adults, like in their 20s and 30s. And I, I just was, I'm, I'm just blown away. And I'm extremely proud that, that, that they have the wherewithal to read about it, to, to understand it. Not to just go out there and go, F this, F that, you know, F the president, F this. They really spend some time like looking into it, looking up and seeing both sides. From what I've read, I've seen more, 
you know, in-depth conversation than just blurting out a bunch of uh, swear words at, at the government. And I think that and that's be, amazing. And to be fair, this, this didn't just start happening. This was happening in the previous administration, too. Like, this is not new where they've been separated. So Right, right, right. And I don't um, think people realize that. And I don't yeah. think that's said enough, even. But yeah, you know, listen. It's just it's just all fuel to the fire, and what look the the bottom, who cares? The bottom line is these they're, they're changing it, and it's it's you know, you and me as parents, especially me with the little tiny ones, you know, just how just how horrible that that is the idea of that, and the fact that, you know, I don't think they're even keeping track, you know, properly. Right. So it's just, um, just it's 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 barbaric, really, and and hopefully this is a step in the right direction that I'll be, uh, you know. And we'll get better as things go, time goes and on. And I right away thought of you, you and Melissa and the kids, because I thought to myself, you know, I lived in other countries with my kids. And I thought to myself, if I was, when I was living in other countries, and if my kids were small, like your kids are, and someone came in and separated me from my children or, or tried to rip my children out of my arms and, and put me somewhere and my children somewhere else, the anguish and, and terror I would feel would be doubly compounded. My children would feel that doubly compounded. And I, I have to be honest, I would walk through hell to get to them. I would, I, it would be, I would almost think that they would have to physically like. Did they- well, they would, they would, Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You'd be helpless. And then, and that's what people are. Everybody has that same feeling of wanting to protect their kids, but what you can't fight the power, you know, right. there's nothing you can do when you're in that position. So the helplessness is just, there's no, not really a worse feeling to have. That's horrible, the terror. So anyway, we're happy that it seems to be going in a better direction and we hope that it continues and, um, you know. Yes, we do. That's that's it. But um, so what is our next big deal? <laughs> it's funny. We're going like all different extremes here from Disney World to the parents being separated from their uh, children at the border to the biggest mall yet to come to the U.S. I didn't Very serious topic. story. A big mall. Nobody even goes to the malls. They don't. Oh my God! By us, all the malls are dying. Oh, well, by me, the Short Hills Mall is packed every day. Uh, I haven't been there in a long time, but we drive by it because when we're driving, you know, it's kind of in our area. It's like you can't even get in there. Oh. But um, the biggest mall yet to come to the U.S. as retail centers across the U.S. struggle. A Canadian developer is one step closer to building the biggest mall in America after Florida zoning officials approved the plan. The $4 billion project known as American Dream Miami will provide over 6 million square feet of retail and entertainment space. The uh, Wall Street Journal says the developer hopes to succeed by focusing on amenities like indoor water park and ski slope over shopping opportunities. And that's the thing. Malls are, are, are becoming places to go for activities, not just shopping. So um, I think they're trying to do that with the Meadowlands, too. I think they're opening a big mall there or something with all kinds of activities and stuff to do. That's cool. So, and I think Mall of America was like that. I was out in Minnesota. I was there. And there's malls up in Nyack, New York, that have a lot of stuff for kids to do and everything. So it becomes a place to go to. You know, a lot of these malls have movie theaters and places to eat. So, you know, they make it like, you know, maybe you walk around a little bit and buy some stuff. But at the same time, you have other things to do there. So. I think they're 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 adjusting to uh, the, the climate. So, yeah, I think the entertainment think part of it's cool. That taking yep. your kids there, you know, when you have nothing else to do with your kids, it's a crappy day in the summer, or even a crappy day in the winter. You can go to the mall and they can do something fun. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about pot. Let's talk about it. Canada passes recreational marijuana. 
Canada has legalized the use of recreational marijuana, reports Reuters. Um, the Senate voted 52-29 in favor of a revised bill, which will pave the way for fully legal cannabis market within 8 to 12 weeks. Wow, they're not wasting any wow. time. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau maintains the law will keep marijuana out of the hands of underage users and reduce related crime per, per Reuters. Um, the country is the first in the G7 to legalize the drug's recreational use. And uh, estimates from Canada's Bureau of Statistics show that Canadians spend about $4.5 billion on cannabis in 2015, almost as much as was spent on wine per the BBC. So imagine how much taxes uh, were collected on wine. Yeah. You know, and and so you're doubling you're, you're doubling that income right. by uh, you know, potentially. I think the U.S. should do it, too. It's like state by state. It's kind of silly. So what if, you you know, say you live in a state where you're allowed to smoke and then you had some packed and you forgot and then you get pulled over. What, are you going to go to jail? I mean, it's, it's kind of silly. Right, right, you right. And, and I'm just, you know, not to get in the, open this whole debate, but, and I'm not a smoker, but, but, you know, being around and growing up, going to bars and stuff, alcohol to me is a lot more um, dangerous than the marijuana is. I agree with as that. As far as physical altercations affecting the way you drive not to say people should smoke pot and drive either but i just think um alcohol you know to me can be just as bad if not worse i always feel like people are so, violent when they're drinkers if they're not if they're not yes. good drinkers like you know if you're if you're out getting drunk and you always get like you know beer muscles or whatever the case is sure it's a, i just you know you and i were both bartenders so we've seen a lot well, I've seen, um, I used to call my, one of my best friends, I call him Bizarro because he would like totally change. Even his, one of his eyeballs would go a different way and he would just become, become <laughs> it's not true. It would just become, it'd be, yeah, this is totally true. And he'd become a different person. And, uh, I call him Bizarro. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I think, um, I think marijuana should be, I think us should follow suit and, uh, you know, especially the fact that we have all this big debt and everything else. I, I mean, take, you know, Take it, take it over. The thing is, it's caused problems in some states because it's um, they're not allowed to use national banks, so they have to have security and they deal a lot in cash, and it's dangerous because people want to rob right. them. So, you make this national. It's uh, I think it's a win for the country. I do too. It's funny though. It's like they made the gambling, sports betting is becoming legal. Um, I think if you do it right and you, you do your homework and see how other countries do it and you do it right, it's, it could be a positive. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that, you know, regardless of anything, it's a here and it's going to stay. So we, sure. you might as well tax it and, and get, make, you know, pull us out of some debt on it because what you're not changing it. You're not, there's just, it's, you're not regulating it. There's no way possible. Some people argue they should make all drugs legal. I'm not quite in that no, camp. No, me either. Not at uh, all. Yeah. That seems a little crazy, but I, you know, if it's proven that it would make more sense or whatever, who knows? But for now... Um, this makes sense to me. It'll, it'll be interesting to watch and see how Canada, how it affects the country. Yeah, I think so. And this story is a f continuation, a follow-up from uh, a previous story we covered with Roseanne. Uh, Roseanne is barred from spinoff. I, I follow this under, duh. Yeah. And you know what? This this goes to show you that they listened to the One Tap Mother show because you and I said, just let the other people have the show, the heck with Roseanne. Right. And it's great that they're doing this. It's, a, you know, and I hope the people that are also anti-Roseanne, which they should have been because she's she's a um, sick person, uh, hopefully they support the show. Yeah. You know, I didn't watch it before, so I'm not going to watch it now. But, you know, those people who did, hopefully they stick with it. Uh, ABC has ordered, ordered 10 episodes of a spinoff of, of Roseanne 
without uh, Roseanne, according to CNBC. In May, the network canceled a revival of the original show, which generated a revenue of $45 million in two months. Wow. TV advertising is where it's at, right? Yeah. Holy cow. Uh, Barr posted a racist tweet about former Obama aide Valerie Jarrett. A bar agreed to forego creative or financial participation in the spinoff in order to save the jobs of 200 cast and crew members per The Guardian. You know something? Got to give her a little bit of credit for Right. That. I'm sure she, she could have been like, F you, F everyone. They're all talking bad about me. It's my show. You can't have it. But, you know, give her, give the animal a little bit of credit that she, you know, agreed, went on with this without causing a stink. And so these people have jobs because not everybody on that cast and crew are zillionaires. You know, people are just working and trying to feed their families. And for her to just go on Twitter and kill all that is it was just a sin, travesty. So right. hopefully this hopefully this works out. I hope it's really successful. I do. I hope so, too, because like you said, you, um, we've been in the industry and they're just regular people doing our job. It's just a job. Most of the cast or not most of the crew and even some of the cast. So I, I believe sure. absolutely 100% that, that they should continue with it. And I didn't support it. I don't really watch television, but my mother and my sister both watched the Roseanne show. So they're going to go ahead and see what happens with the show. And they'll tell me. All right. I'll be watching Nickelodeon Jr. Okay. Let's move on. Let's go on to our emails. Shall we go to the emails? Yes, ready? mail is in. Okay. Dear One Tough Mother, our bright and beautiful daughter Jess is coming home for the summer from college and we are very excited. However, she is also bringing her boyfriend, who we barely know. She told us she got him a job uh, where she's going to be working this summer, which works out perfect for them. My husband, her father, is very unhappy about this and will not allow them to cohabitate in our house. And now Jess is very upset with her father and his rule. We know they live together at school, and we are very excited that Jess is coming home. She's our only child, but bringing her boyfriend and them living here as they live in school is just not acceptable in my husband's eyes. I'm stuck in the middle. I want my daughter home for the summer, and now she is threatening to not come home. How can I convince my husband to give it a try? Um, I went through this with, um, I think, all four of my kids. <laughs> they all wanted to bring someone home? Yeah. I, um, sometimes it's a pet. Sometimes it's a, a person. A girlfriend, a cat. Uh, boyfriend. No, I think that once they went to college and then they wanted, you know, to come back home for the summer, I, I do believe that um, they were bring. they did bring somebody home when they were older. And the, my thing was, I had younger kids at the time with my oldest ones, of course. So no, you weren't going to cohabitate in uh, the house. What if you didn't? What if you only had one kid? Okay, so yeah. So we, my daughter, daughter, who's the youngest and everybody else has grown up and gone, or everybody's out of the house and, and married or on their merry way. Um, I let her, I let her, and they lived here and they got married. Now they have a child, but yeah, they lived here. Was it, the, was it after, um, was it during yeah, college? Yeah. Or was it she after was a college? junior in college. And she was junior. And, she, and did you know the yes, guy though? Yes. I knew, but well, I didn't different. know him intimately. I, I, think, I knew him. I, it's still different. Yeah, I didn't know him like super well, but I knew of I knew of him and his family. Now you had a good feeling, yeah, I had a good feeling. and you knew his family yeah. a little bit yeah. too. So I think they're in a different situation here. And I, I gotta say, I'm 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 a little bit in the camp of um, I'm a little bit in the camp of the dad here in the sense that, all right, you you want to act like adults, then go get an yeah. apartment. You got jobs, go get an apartment, and you want to live together, and that's fine. But you know, in, in my house, it's not gonna it's not gonna fly. I, I agree with that so, too because. You know what? You don't. First of all, it's weird when someone moves in that you don't know. 
because right. you like it's kind well, of like, but you're not you're not adults right. you're not you know i'm still paying for everything i gotta feed this kid and wash his clothes too Right, right. No, I, I don't think I, I agreed with the husband. I don't think I know what she wants. I know she wants her child home. And um, that that would be me. I would oh, I want him to come and stay. But, you know, I, I have to respect the husband. I think that he doesn't know the dude and he doesn't want that happening in his house. It's his little girl, his only child. Yep. And, you know, you don't want to come too hard. You just want to have a discussion about it. But I said, look, you guys want to be adults and be a couple, then go get a place, rent a room somewhere. You know, I, I can't have you living as like, like you're in my house like that. It's just, it's not right. I don't feel comfortable with it. And you guys can't do right. it. You could come spend, you're going to be in the area. You're going to rent a place out. You guys can come over whenever you want, have dinner, hang out. But it's just, I'm not comfortable with you guys living here together. It just doesn't feel right. right to and me. I think respectfully that he, the, the boyfriend should be like, you know, we got to respect your father's wishes. Yeah. So. You know, but, you know, people are still, they're still teenagers maybe at that point or just young, young 20s and full of angst and, you know, entitlement and all the other stuff. Potentially, I don't know this girl or boyfriend, but, you know, it's, you got to try to, you don't want to like alienate her or, you know, or chase her away. But at the same time, you got, you don't have to give in. Right. Either. So we're with the, we're with the dad wife. We, we understand how you feel. We know you want your daughter to come home and we agree with that, but we, we, we're with the dad. We think that. You don't have to convince him. We think he sh he has the right to to say I, I I don't feel comfortable with this and I don't want it to happen. Yes, agree. And you know, guys, I'll sit down and try to talk it out yeah. like adults, and maybe you can well, help right her away, out. Well, right away it seems like she was throwing a hissy. Well, I won't come home. Well, that's not how you handle things. Right. If you're well, she's a child though. You're the you're the parent, so you got to try to yeah. smooth it out. Okay, I think we solved Thank that you. problem. Let's go on to email number two. Dear One Tough Mother, our new neighbors have five small yappy dogs. Move. Okay, next letter. You're going. <laughs> our, neighbors have, our new neighbors have five small yappy dogs. They bark and bark and bark day and night. I am telling you, they bark at every sound car person that walks past their house. And even they even bark if we are in our yard. These neighbors have a fenced-in yard that butts up against our fence. And those little dogs run out, uh, run out the pet store at any time, day or night, and stand the fence and bark without stop. Good boy. Occasionally, we hear the neighbors scream, shut up, which is like doing nothing, and the dogs just continue to stand there and bark. We've spoken to these neighbors twice and asked if they could please keep the dogs in at night, but nothing has changed. With summer coming, we enjoy evenings at the fire pit, our teens and their friends over at the pool, and our yard is a hot spot to be. At this point, it's obvious that the writing is on the wall and these dogs are going to be a problem. Do you have any suggestions besides calling the police every time? Well, I'm going to you know, count your blessings because I'm in a two-family house, so you know, poor you. <laughs> I, mean, I wish I had a problem, um, but it's it, there are ordinances at certain times. These dogs are at night, after nine o'clock at night or something, it's out there barking. The cops can come and shut that yeah. down because there, there there are town ordinances. Otherwise, I mean, you may be kind of screwed. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let I mean, me just go. Know. I'm going to go the full bore on this one because I have because oh. I. Start like you know throwing things at yeah. the house no, no, and no. getting crazy. Get your own dogs. Go get your own dogs. Get, get bigger dogs. barking no. dogs. You show them. Get big dogs to eat them. No, here's what the, I yeah. have: three dogs, and they're little dogs. And I have a pet door, and I have a fenced-in yard, and I have neighbors. I mean, not like right on top of me, but I do have neighbors. You've been to my house. We have neighbors. We're in, we're like a little yes. community. So my dogs shoot out the pet door because they're they're dogs, and they see a squirrel, and they go yapping down the yard. I would not want to hear someone else's dogs constantly doing it. I am not allowing my dogs to do it. I go out there and say enough 
and make them come in the house. Right. You have you have decency. It's yeah. all common courtesy and respect for your neighbors. Now that person has five little yappy dogs. They're running out day and night because they have a pet door. They're standing at the back of their fence, barking, barking, barking. When the people are in their own yard, enjoying their own yard, their pool, their neighbor, their, you know, friends and their family. Where's your common courtesy and decency? Oh, I got it. I got it. If I don't think they have any, but they should put little balls of peanut butter and throw them over the fence. Oh, Why? Because the dogs say they can't bark when they're chewing peanut butter. <laughs> oh, my God. Who told you that? I saw it in a movie once. Oh, yeah. oh, the Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah. No, I saw it in a real movie with real dogs. I gave them the Dobermans. Kept them busy. Oh. All right. Well, that... I think you might put drugs in the middle of the peanut butter, though. So don't do that. You'll get yeah. arrested. But um, what if you don't kill them? Maybe you just make them go get sleepy. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. The, what you need to do is if they're not being courteous, if they have no courtesy and they're not being respectful, then the only thing you can do is call the police and tell the, you know, when the police come, you're going to be there with the neighbor and just say, um, you know, I, I tried to speak to you, but we just want to enjoy our yard. Just have respect. Or, or get a pet hawk. Oh, that, actually, we have that problem huh? here with huh? with dogs being picked up by hawks. Yeah. Uh, I believe it. Get a pet hawk and then you watch your problem disappear one dog at a time. <laughs> You're such a jerk today. Well, anyway, we don't know. We don't condone anything that Seth says in this whole letter except for the peanut butter might work. I thought that was interesting. But other than that, you're going to have to call the police. These people have no respect. Move. Go to your house. No. It's a good time. The it's a, high. You have a pool. Stay. Stay. Uh, so we'll sell your house in September. <laughs> but um, yeah, these yeah. people don't have respect. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to start from square one and just have the cop come and just tell them. That's way to. Yeah. Uh, man, you have little barking dogs in the back. Yeah, yeah bring them inside. inside. Right. So yeah. We're gonna put them down, man. And, and you know, what? I hope I hope this isn't gonna be like a Judge Judy thing where they call the cops. The, the people get picked dun, off. Dun, they dun. retaliate by throwing stuff over the fence. It becomes like a big joke. Meet the plaintiff. Dun, exactly. Dun, dun. She's a trillionaire, Judge Judy. Trillionaire. In the in the meantime, yes. we're gonna we're gonna end the show. We want to thank again, um, Katerina Pogostin, and she's amazing. I mean, amazing. I can't imagine being able to play emotion through my fingers like she does. Like to play, be a concert pianist in front of thousands and thousands of people, and emotionally play. She said she feels it come up through her body, and it's it's a very um, physical and emotional thing. That's just it's incredible, it's incredible. You know, your son should play with her. He plays the cello, right? Yeah, that I, can I, I'll, yeah. Actually, that would be Thanks. cool if she ever did something that he could cool. go see her play, or at least talk to her because she talks about how how emotional you can become. And she said in the beginning she wasn't even a she didn't even like piano, so. Your son should talk to me. Uh, right, okay. In the meantime, mother says this week is, and this is a good one. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Like don't judge people before you know them. Like by the way they look or the way they act in the beginning. And I've, I'm very, very, very guilty of this. I recently did this. I judged someone that on someone else's opinion, like I met them and they're like, Oh, do you know? So-and-so, oh, wow, watch out. They had like a, a lot of comments to say. So for like the past couple of weeks in my head, I've been like, 
oh, wow, I got to really, you know, not be around this person or, or not talk to this person as much or watch what I say. Then I, I ended up spending time one-on-one -on -one with this person doing some things. And it was a really cool person. And I felt like a real jerk face that I had judged them before I even face. knew them. Well, it also goes with about treat people how you want to be treated and, you know, judge people by yeah. how they treat you, not by what yeah. other people say. So don't judge people before you know them. You know, you'll never get to love them. You'll never yeah. get to know them. And they, everybody has something valuable, valuable to teach you. And that's what we believe. We believe that every person that you meet has a lesson to teach you and you need to learn that and, and get to know all kinds of people. Right? Oh. Yes. Right. Right. So anyway... Go home Whatever and, and go home and uh, take care of the baby. Okay, have a it. great week, everybody. And next week, another crazy show. Can't wait. Twinkle Twinkle, twinkle, yes, I want to watch you all.